Welcome to Don't Let Dave Win, the podcast that explores mental health and that negative inner voice that we all have within the world of the arts industry. This week, I am joined by Odin Ornhill Marson, who composed the beautiful piece of music that underscores every intro and outro of this podcast. Odin is a composer and sound designer, as well as a filmmaker and video editor. I reached out to Odin in the very early stages of this podcast to see if he'd be interested in composing the music for it. And not only did he agree to do that, but he's been there to assist me every step of the way to offer sound editing advice, to teach me of the best software to be using, all of the technical stuff that I'm not so strong with. He's really helped throughout this process and has lifted my spirits whenever the self-doubt crept back in. And I am so happy that he also wanted to chat to me and be on this side of the podcast too. He is the kindest soul and this episode brings me a lot of happiness. We discuss loss, we discuss moments of self-loathing, and we also discuss what brings us joy and how we can use joy and pride within ourselves to tackle that inner voice. Thank you so, so much, Odin, for coming to chat to me today. Oh, thank you. Thank it's so you. good to see you in person as well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while, like a year, not quite a year, but yeah. nearly a year. Yeah, no, it's great. Great to be a part of it. To thank be able you so to sort much. of, yeah, supply a bit of music and then get to, get to talk as well. <laughs> no, absolute pleasure to have you here. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I start every podcast, I mm-hmm. like to just kind of do a bit of a check-in. So sure. how are you feeling today, genuinely? Hmm. That's a, a yeah, really good shout. Um. Oh, so I, I mean, I think I mean obviously I'm like a teeny bit nervous, you know, obviously because just having to talk and imprint my thoughts onto uh, digital infinity for for all time. I mean, that's obviously a little bit sort of nerve wracking, but I'm sure that will pass after a little bit, just you know, talking for a little while. Um. But sort of beyond that, I guess I have a fair bit on at the moment, so maybe I'm a little bit stressed about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a very nice relaxing weekend, so nice. all in all, things could be worse. <laughs> and maybe that's, you know, the mantra of, of, of the times. Good things, place to start. Things, things could, could be, be worse. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how about you, Abby? What's, uh, yeah, what's your story at this moment? Similar. Mm-hmm. Obviously a bit nervous. Mm. Um, yeah, like you said, once we get into the flow and everything, all those nerves will sort of ebb away, but... Um, yeah, I, I always feel a bit of sort of anxiety. Of, oh, am I mm. am I going to remember to ask all the things I wanted to? And of you know, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm feeling all right. Yeah, feels like uh, we're we're ready. We're ready. Let's do this. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, firstly, how would you describe what you do in your own words? So, you are your composer, producer, sound designer. Um, anything else you want to add? Yeah. To the list? So, I mean, I think. I guess on paper, it's simplest to say that I am a composer, sound designer, and I'm also a video editor and sort of content producer. So I sort of think of myself as being a person or sort of like a self-employed company where it's just me, but I have two departments. 
there's the sound stuff that I do, which envelops music and 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 sound design, uh, which I do a lot for theatre, live performance, podcasts, and then the other department is the sort of videography and content production. So I do a lot of promotional videos. I will edit music videos. I yeah. So that's sort of the very broad gist of it, and uh, I think. It, yeah, it sort of comes from the fact that, like, when I was younger, I loved music, but I also really loved films. And so when I was 15 and having to, or 14, having to choose my GCSEs, the particular school that I was in, I had to choose between drama and music. Ah, uh, okay. Which was a big sort of, like, fork in the road for me, yeah, I feel. Yeah, sure. And I sort of thought, I always thought, okay, well, this means I have to choose between one or the other. And I chose drama because I was doing music extracurricular. So I kind of thought, well, I can sort of study drama, but carry on playing in bands and sort of doing my own journey through music. Then that had a bit of a knock-on effect, meaning that I couldn't do music at sixth form, and then I couldn't really consider that as an option for when I went to university. And uh, long story short, basically, I think I've always sort of thought, I've got to pick one. And actually when I, so I, my master's was in filmmaking. It was in digital film and television production. And for my short film, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to make this short film, but I'm also going to make the music for it. Whichever part of the process I like the most, that's the one that I'm going to go down. That's the one I'm going to choose. <laughs> but even then it didn't quite work out like that. And, you know, I, I graduated and I started working for a small production company. But at university, I made a lot of music for my friends' plays. So they also went out into the real world and started making theatre and would ask me to do the music for it. So whilst I was sort of an intern at a small production company, I was also making music. And, you know, it just sort of happened that mm-hmm. I never had to really give one of them up. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I'd always thought I had to. Yeah, for sure. You are, you are sort of told to in school, right? You're told, right, right you need to pick one subject that you're going to specialise in. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't need to pick. You can, you can do more than one thing. It's so much more complicated than that. And actually, I think something that was a big turning point for me, I, um, so I do a lot of video work for Rose Bruford College, which is an acting college, although sort of university level. And there is, uh, they have a course there, uh, which is actor musicianship. And I was talking to the course director, Jeremy Harrison. And so here's the thing. So usually I will never let clients of one of my departments know that I have this other department. But to Jeremy, we were sort of talking in between takes and I sort of decided because he was such a big proponent of this sort of Venn diagram of two disciplines intersecting. Mm -hmm. I sort of, I, I told him about this and I told him how kind of nervous I felt about having to pretend like I was just one. And he just sort of very, just sort of like very bluntly said, no, fuck that, fuck that. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, I always knew that actually being skilled in one helped me in the other. And so I think, yeah, I think I sort of slowly, very slowly, am understanding that this sort of two-sidedness of what I do is a good thing. Even yeah. if maybe it is true that I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I still think I, I do okay. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that comes from an insecurity that you're better at one over the other? Or 
God, yeah. Where, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I mean, oh, God. I mean, the thing is, when I feel really confident about one, I feel less confident about the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think because I absolutely feel very, I think, unconfident a lot of the time about my ability in both and because I work on my own I am sort of freelance and self-employed and I am my own boss and although I work with people a lot if I'm working with people on a theatre project I'm usually the only composer or sound person there and similarly with the, the video stuff I'm usually the sole videographer or producer there and I think that makes me feel a little bit insecure because then I feel like if I am subsequently in a room of people of my peers that, yeah, that I'm sort of not going to be good enough or that they'll see, oh, wait a second, oh, this guy, hold on. Is he the guy who does two things and thinks he's good at both? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely an anxiety there. Definitely. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, and yeah, would you describe that as imposter syndrome, do you think? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think I very much consider myself an imposter, yeah. I just mentioned that, I have a very sort of insular working style in the sense that I'm doing a lot of these projects on my own. Even if I'm working as part of a team, I'm the only person in that sort of department. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, working in that insular way is a way to protect myself and actually to sort of house myself away from my peers for fear that they will judge me or deem me not part of their group. I see, okay. So mm. maybe by being in both, you're sort of not a member of one club, you're sort of floating yeah. in between, maybe. Yeah, I think I think so. And I think, um, you know, I love working as part of a team and I love working with people, but I think I also fear it quite a lot because mm-hmm. I think that that opens me up to scrutiny. Um, yeah, for sure. Do you have an inner voice that sort of distinctly speaks oh my yeah completely yeah oh he's very cruel (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting i don't quite remember when that started and i think i was very happy to hear that other people had that voice and i think it it is something that is daily for sure and it's very it's yeah it's interesting sort of try to talk about it out loud and with other people because i think other people have a very different and yet very similar experience Mm of that sort of voice. Mm. And yeah, it's a hard thing to compare because obviously you don't know what's going on inside somebody else's head. So you kind of, you can talk about similar experiences, but obviously there's no way of knowing if it's, you know, exactly the same as what what you're experiencing. No, but it, it, it always seems to, there seems to be the common thread that it's a very disparaging voice. Mm. And the effect of it being there is to push you down. And yeah, I, I, I remember a good few years ago, this must have been sort of around about 10 years ago, I was really sort of thinking about this voice. And the only way that I could sort of think to describe it is like, and this is sort of odd imagery given that I'm not religious, but sort of it's almost like it's this sort of malevolent demon with my own voice, sort of that's, okay. the, that's the trick almost. I think that's why I think of it as a demon. Uh, although that, you know, that shouldn't be taken too literally. I'm not trying to say that I'm sort of hearing the voice of a demon but it's sort of it's the best way for me to it also um separates it from me in yeah. a sense it mm-hmm. sort of it, it helps me to sort of say this isn't me saying oh it shouldn't i shouldn't think of this as 
a real part of myself. Although, yeah. of course, it is. You know, it is a manifest of my psyche some, somehow. But it's helpful, I think, to sort of see it as this cruel and malevolent thing that I shouldn't pay attention to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but the, the sort of the trick, the trickery of this quasi-demonic thing <laughs> is that it has my voice. And ah, that's, how okay. it, that's how it convinces me mm-hmm. that it's me mm-hmm. and that I should listen to it. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't know if mine has my voice. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's definitely sort of a deeper, more powerful voice, right? Okay. Which I think like overpowers my sort of um, internal dialogue of say like more positive thoughts. Whenever I have the negative ones, they seem to be more hard hitting and and yeah. And so I think I don't necessarily recognize it as my own voice. I mm. think a lot of the time it's quite a male voice as well mm, okay. um which is why so I, i've named my voice obviously i've mm. spoken to you about the title of the podcast yeah being don't let dave win for for that reason i've yeah. called i've called mine dave fantastic um because yeah for whatever reason it seems to seems to speak to me as more of a male voice mm. um so yeah i wanted to ask if you have a name for yours I mean, no, I don't, because because it's it's me, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I've always sort of characterised it as being me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't sort of until the, the sort of the time that I was talking about where I was really sort of thinking about it that I decided, well, it's helpful for me to try to say that it is my voice, but it's not me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, I mean... Something that also came up for me a, a long time ago, and I think it might be sort of interesting to bring up, is that I do feel like I have this odd thing where absolutely I am incredibly sort of, you know, and it's hard to say this out loud, but very self-loathing, and I'm very hard on myself and very disparaging towards myself, even if it's not through that aforementioned voice. And yet, I know from a young age, that I also have a bit, quite a bit of an ego as well. Okay. (laughs) And there's an interesting dynamic there, I think. And I remember even before I sort of characterised my voice, I had this other little sort of saying that I don't think is a snappy when I think about it now, but I think it still sort of captures slightly this weird thing of having an ego, but also being, but hating yourself. And that is that, I'm a narcissist with a with very bad taste, <laughs> very bad taste in selves, um, and I. It's an interesting thing. I I, I think that this occurs. I I do feel like this occurs a lot with people that I know, where you know they are very insecure, but they also have this sort of they can have these streaks of ego, mm. and I feel like a lot of actors can have that. Um, but I think I I think we could just say broadly creative people actually. Um, that there is this sort of ego that propels and gives you drive and momentum and for that, sure yeah yeah you need to have a little bit of it to think oh, definitely to think that you're good enough to enter this industry sort of in the first place and enough to sort of keep you going when obviously you have to be very resilient there's a lot of rejection yes. in this kind of industry and so you have to have a bit of ego to be like okay i'm not the problem yes therefore i'm gonna keep going yes um but the battle between the two the ego and that voice is yes. very, very difficult to navigate a lot of the time. It is, and it's hard. And I think, because I think when I was younger, 
I had a bit of a traumatic experience when I was 11, where I was, um, like, not not to the point where I was sort of properly attacked, but I was sort of assaulted on the street walking home from the station from school. And that had a huge, like, impact on me. Um, and actually, like, sort of several, I think, two, at le- yeah, at least two, maybe even a third counsellor that I've had in my adult life have listened to me tell this story and the effect that it had on me in the subsequent years. And they've said, that sounds like you've you've got PTSD from that. Okay. Um, And I remember that being such a line in the sand of my ego taking a massive hit there because I think I was at that age where I felt a little bit invincible. Mm -hmm. And then that experience happened where some boys were essentially chasing me down the street and I had never experienced anything like that or had ever even conceived of the threat Mm -hmm. of something like that. And so I think that shook me so much that I think that knocked my ego back a lot. And I will often sort of at least hypothesize that that's sort of where maybe uh, me being very hard on myself at least started or at least really kind of grew Mm -hmm. because I think I understood myself before that time as being a very sort of unstoppable force and then you know I can hear myself saying oh you fucking idiot you didn't realize like how the world was I think that was a big realization for me as well like and you just thought you thought you were the cock of the walk and look what look where that got you Uh Um, and I think that's sort of a big moment of where suddenly these two very different voices started having to compete for space sure Mm. sure yeah and that it almost sounds like yeah you you've sort of convinced yourself that in some elements that happened to you for a reason which obviously it has no reflection on you as a person it was just some dickhead guys who picked a target but obviously the psychological impact that has is I was the problem. Oh yeah, completely. And actually, you know, I mean, you're you, you're saying exactly what my counselors said, or at least sort of two that I remember. Um, you know, they very much tried to say to me that wasn't your fault. And I, <laughs> even now, I'm sort of thinking, yeah, but it kind of was, though, wasn't it? It kind of was, but it's probably that's not the right way to look at it. But yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I also I sit here, but before you as though I have the grand answers to sort of uh, overcoming mental health but I still have so much that I'm unraveling and unpacking and and so much forgiveness left Mm. you know to give myself yeah yeah that's a big one yeah feeling responsible for mental health issues and yeah I'm by no means I often think like yeah I'm hosting a podcast mainly Mm. about mental health but I'm by no means claiming mm-hmm. to have it under control like I am still mm-hmm. suffering from it a lot um very recently last night actually an anxiety attack hit um oh. and so I'm I'm not claiming in any way to have this sort of under control yeah um and it is yeah it's weird how much you blame yourself and sort of think like last night for instance there was absolutely no trigger for it really right. there was no no sort of cause I was sort of thinking about um and it is that sort of you go, oh, you fucking idiot! Like mm. just, just get a grip. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Like it's, it's weird how straight away it's a case of blaming yourself. Absolutely, it's yeah. Society hasn't quite matured enough, I think, mm. to 
to sort of, uh, I guess, understand that we don't control our minds as much as we that we believe that we do. And it's something that I think about a lot as well, that like we forget a little bit that psychology is quite young, really. And even like modern medicine is incredibly mm. young compared to um, a lot of the other sort of disciplines. Psychology, or at least sort of how we think about our minds, feels very young. And we've had this massive sort of mental health revolution, sort of self-care revolution, just in the last few years, you know? and Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that was possibly even lockdown. There was sort of more of a necessity for it. If it wasn't for that, I'm sort of like, would that have even happened as quick as it did? So true. Like, absolutely. So, I mean, I think one of the great sort of frontiers we have left to reach break is really understanding the limits and embracing the limits of our minds and the again the weird and wonderful ways that our minds exist because it's not simple people who look together don't have to be together on the inside definitely yeah definitely and it's so easy to look at other people and be like oh they're they've got their lives in order but you never know what's going on under the surface like you said completely and it's something for us to always remind ourselves you know things are more complicated than what's just in the field of our own vision for sure yeah yeah and not just for other people but for ourselves as well because i think one of the issues that i've had is that i was a very i am a very introspective person i'm not saying that to imply that i'm particularly good at it but that is just sort of the disposition of my brain to look inwards and I think that that sort of almost gave me the false sense that I had myself fairly worked out or figured out Mm -hmm. and it kind of wasn't until I was doing various sort of counseling with 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 different people that I realized just how little I'm actually connecting with myself and that in so many ways I use that introspection as a way to guard myself from actually connecting to my Mm. feelings um i'm almost trying to be my own sort of impersonal counselor but in doing so i'm actually not giving myself the very personal care and love that i need to and self-love is something that you know i can almost not imagine reaching and some days um, but that is for me kind of the goal. But I think I need to let go of trying to be my own counsellor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because by doing so, you're distancing yourself right. from it, which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, do you think that that, that must impact your career, having having all of that internal dialogue stuff constantly on the go? Definitely. And is yeah, is that the cause of the imposter syndrome? Do you think the main one? I think so. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I remember this one story, actually. Um, so it was in 2016. And 2016, in sort of my story, 2016 was a really busy year for me. It was a great year. I sort of exploded in terms of work. And so much work that I get now is from that period because of people that I worked with, people that I met. But I was really overworked and really burnt out by the end of it. Um But I got a sort of a really big break where I was doing music and sound for a show with people who were sort of real, sort of my age, but up and comers on the sort of the theatre scene. So a lot of them had been assistants on really big shows, like shows at the National. Um, I remember us having this meeting 
And it was this, you know, it was amazing to sort of go in there and see this beautifully creative room, and that was fantastic. And then to sit at the table with everybody, all the designers there, so lighting, set, uh, the producers, the director as well, the production manager. And before we really got into it, they were all talking about the various shows that they were assisting on. And really for me, at that point in time, a lot of the shows that I'd been working on had been shows that I'd gotten on because somebody who was working on it was someone who I went to university with or someone that I'd gone to university with had recommended me for. And um, I was actually about to go to rehearsal for one of those plays. And in my bag, I had just these sort of tatty wires and I had this instrument that I'd made. It was just a block of wood with a guitar string nailed to it and wrapped around a screw so that I could tune it. And I was going to use it for this show where I was doing live music for it. And I felt so self-conscious. There were these young up-and-coming people who were doing their own show aside from uh, assisting for really big names. You know, I remember being there, just being like, I'm going to hide my little bag with my weird bit, bit of <laughs> my, my stick with a string. Because, yeah, I felt not enough and I didn't feel like I had a place there. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I had the background that they had in order to justify why I was there. And so I was constantly, I think, hiding myself a little bit. I sort of feel like I have to shrink a little bit. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it, having feeling like you need to justify what you've done in order to call yourself yeah. a certain profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely found that starting out as an actor, the sort of the the classic question, oh, have you been in anything I'd know then? And it's yes. feeling like you need to have so many projects behind you in mm. order to say, yes, no, I'm actually an actor, which is crazy because like, it's okay to be at the very start of your journey yeah. and to not have those things. But it is that pressure of, of yeah, feeling like you're not enough mm. if you don't sort of have credits behind you. And mm. yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It can feel very intimidating. Um, Definitely before I started my training, the main one was insecurity that I don't have any training. Yeah. And now I've finished my training, it's that I don't have any credits. And yeah. so and I'm starting to realise, okay, I think you're just always going to feel like this. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's actually a really important thing, I think, as well. That, yeah, you will... And that I know about myself, it'll never, I'll never be good enough. Mm. Like, I can't tell myself I'm going to be happy once I do this or once I get there or yeah. once I get this. Because now I know, just from experience, <laughs> of having attained the thing that maybe a few weeks ago I was saying, oh, I won't be legit until this thing. And then I get this thing and I'm like, oh, no, I still feel like a piece of shit. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that can't be the attitude. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. People are wonderfully diverse and come to where they are through so many different ways and at different speeds as well exactly yeah it's okay to take your time and to you know avoid things like burnout definitely like you were saying before it's important to not let that happen but it is sort of that pressure of i need to keep going i need to constantly be proactive and Mm -hmm. making this happen faster yeah i think and again it's because we don't prioritize mental health as something that needs to come first Mm. because we prioritize i think in our general society success and we adore people who have attained a very high ascension 
Mm. And particularly if they've done it quickly or done it very savvily or very uniquely. But uh, it's that doesn't mean anything as to how successful you are or how exactly, yeah. or how well you are living your own life because your life is completely your own and your own story yeah and, the, and no one else is going to see those other things going mm. on as well like yeah. looking at someone whose career has excelled in a certain year it could have been the most miserable year yeah. of their life you know there's no yeah. way of knowing but you'd just see that and think wow they're mm-hmm. you know they're living the dream whereas it, it might not they must the be so happy. They must be so. Yeah. Oh, they must be so proud of themselves. And yeah, yeah, it's because yeah. we 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 tie these two things together. Success must lead to happiness. And yeah, I think we sort of, you know, we're getting a little bit more mature in our conversation around it, where we know that it's not that simple. It's not that sort of one to one ratio of success to happiness. Mm. But I think we're still pretty bad at acknowledging that it's so complex and that mental health doesn't just sort itself out by having all of the material things in your life. Absolutely. Or having all your dreams come true. Yes, Mm. yeah. Would you say you do give yourself credit for sort of the highs in your career? Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, it's taken me a while to get there, but yes, I am. I am. And I do give myself credit. And I'm also very grateful to have people around me who remind me to give myself credit, whether it's uh, my girlfriend, my housemate, various other friends that I have, you know, they're always very supportive and very pleased with any bits of, you know, success that I get. And it's very handy to have that kind of support network when maybe you're not the best for yourself. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I do think that sort of with time, I have been getting a lot better at taking a moment and saying, you know what, you're doing all right, son. You know, Mm. you're doing okay. Um, I'm not quite the point where that positive voice comes in before the negative voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that's something I need to practice a little bit better. At the moment, I'm sort of at the point where... And this is a bit of a step up for me where the voice goes, you fucking idiot. Um, and then sort of I have to say, no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's not the best way. I mean, I think um, sometimes I make myself apologize to myself for saying that rude thing um, <laughs> just just to try something different. And because I think that's kind of a funny idea, um, <laughs> uh, that maybe has a good effect because it, it means that my mean self has to you know, look down at his toes and go, oh, I'm sorry, Odin, for being mean to you. Um, <laughs> is that, so you've said the negative voice you identify as being sort of yourself, maybe yeah. a, a more demonic version, maybe, yeah. but yourself. Like, is the positive voice you as well? Yeah, I'm trying for that to be the case. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think definitely for me at the minute, the way it feels is the positive voice is my own, but it's mm-hmm. very repressed and it's it's very hard to sort of, I have to consciously switch it on and off yeah whereas i think the negative one definitely feels like somebody else taking over mm. like taking the mic and being like no yeah yeah more shit and it doesn't sleep as well i'm guessing it's sort of yeah. as in like it doesn't rest it's sort of i we, we were talking about horror films earlier have you seen it follows i haven't actually oh, man, that's great because uh, i remember when people told me the plot of that the big takeaway was oh it's this it's this demon that gets you um, unless you've had sex with somebody else and then you pass it on. And that was meant to be the scary thing about it, that, you know, oh, you've got to have sex in order to pass on this curse. But I think the real, when I watched it, the really scary aspect of it that, I, that nobody told me when they were describing the plot to me is that it's this demon that is 
always following you. Mm. It doesn't, you know, take the bus or get the train or anything. It will just walk to wherever you are. So you can run, but it doesn't sleep. It doesn't stop. All it's doing every single day is just getting closer and closer to you. And, I mean, again, this is sort of relating it to the, this malevolent demon character. Um, and I sort of, I, I'll say it again, I feel a bit sort of, a bit weird talking about it as a demon. Just because <laughs> I sort of think that that, you know, I don't want someone to start throwing holy water on me and, and doing some sort of incantation. But but I, I think there is something very un- unstoppable, what feels very unstoppable about this sort of malevolent voice. Mm. And I remember after I watched It Follows, just the idea that you have to be so on your toes. You know, that it took me a, a couple of extra minutes to get to sleep whilst I just sort of thought, <laughs> Odin, it's not going to come through your through your door. Don't worry. You're. I was going to joke about my sex life at the time, but but, <laughs> but I can't really remember. It was probably it was probably barren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dry wasteland. But, um, uh, so you know, I needn't be concerned. But <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, but yeah, there. You know, I mean, taking it back to that sort of self-loathing voice, that cruel voice. Mm. Do you is... think? Do you think giving it a name for you would be helpful, or that just feels so removed from what it is for you? It's it's a good question, but I, that's just never quite felt right to me mm-hmm. because it's always been my voice. Yeah, and but I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I'm missing a trick. Am I? Should I? Would that help? But I think I would still say that it's my voice but maybe yeah. it's like my evil twin maybe yeah <laughs> maybe okay that's the way. i like it maybe that's the way i'm trying to think what would be a good evil twin name nido if i was gonna do my name backwards for the classic evil thing I just reverse it, it. <laughs> mm. do the highs of your career make up for the the lows are you, are you t- the type of person that you can hold on to the you know the good things and is that what gives you the passion and drive to keep going or um, is easy for you to sort of ignore this voice and be like, no, I'm so passionate about the industry. No mm. matter how much imposter syndrome I feel, it's definitely the right route for me. Or, or, or do you question that quite often? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think because I think it, I think the industries that I'm sort of you know hovering between can be very cruel in terms of how much they ask of you. Mm. And how much they expect of you. I think that's the other thing. The expectation is sometimes there's not um, an, an explicit asking. There's sort of as uh, the implication that you know you have to work really hard and work really long and burn yourself out because that's what good creatives do. Right. Yeah. Um, so you might not be asked, "Hey, can you work a twelve-hour day?" But you might get there in the morning and then end up working fourteen hours because you feel like you can't say, hey, well, you know, I'm going to go now because this is crazy. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, everybody here is not being paid enough for this, um, which was some of my early experiences. Um, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I think maybe even one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why I sort of tend to like working for myself because I don't like getting into that. I mean, don't get me wrong, actually. Like, there's something quite fun about sort of the quick bursts of that where you have to you know put a show up and you've or you've got to sort of make a a deadline but it's only good when you're with people who you know love and support you as well Mm. and I think that's the other thing feeling safe being with 
other people in my industry that I trust. Mm. I think the worst jobs that I've worked have been with people who I don't trust. I think that that is a red flag. And so those aspects make me fear going deeper or further. Yeah. Um, but I sort of, I, I dream about being able to work for myself in a way where I do all the aspects of what I do that I love, which is creating, working with people in a safe environment and a respectful environment and tell interesting stories that people want to hear and be a part of. And that's something that always keeps me coming back, I think. Definitely, yeah, telling important stories. Yeah. I think that's my main drive for doing this podcast. I just Mm. want to be able to have these conversations and share really important stories. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... What what influenced you to enter this career? Ooh, I think I was quite lucky. So my both my parents are artists. So my dad himself is actually a film composer, and my mum was an artist and a sort of a maker. She um, worked in the theatre uh, around the time when I was born, and then but always was sort of an artist in her own right. And, and so I think I was quite lucky in that my pathway to creative work always felt valid and felt achievable and I think it always felt like something I wanted to do. Yeah, luckily I I had parents who didn't bat an eyelid really and I definitely think that my mum was a really big supporter of mine because she in a lot of ways was kind of doing the same grind that I'm doing and this sort of trying to find herself and find her voice and but it was the early part it was in January of 2017 that my mum got diagnosed with cancer and early on the prognosis was quite good so I sort of felt like oh it's okay I don't need to worry too much or be too sort of present although you know I went to her doctor's appointments because it's 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 so I actually added context um my mum and I moved to England when I was six, so that's why I'm Icelandic, but I have a fairly convincing British accent because, you know, I was arrived here when I was at that very malleable age. But it's always just been me and my mum here in England. And so I, I was with her at a lot of the doctor's appointments and sort of, you know, we were always trying to sort of go through it together. Um, and unfortunately, she... Fairly suddenly, I guess, things just went very downhill after about a year. And so not even within two years of her diagnosis did she pass away. Um, And I think that is a bit of a big shock. I think not only because there are quite a lot of parallels between me and her, and particularly a lot that I didn't realise until after she passed away, such as I think she probably had her own little voice. Mm. And I think she was always battling, you know, being a... A young woman, the youngest of three and the only girl in the family, um, growing up on a farm in rural Iceland, (laughs) dyslexic as well, quite badly so, to the point where, you know, when she was 10, doctors telling her parents that, uh, or my grandparents, that she was just going to grow up a simpleton. Um, Wow. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) medicine, (laughs) you know, and I said earlier, modern medicine is quite young, and that, I think, is a great example. But anyway, so, you know, she... um, had to fight against a lot and had to really be her own cheerleader and learn to be her own cheerleader. And I sort of always knew that. And actually, 
I mean, a great story that I sort of think about a lot is that, and this is sort of about the self-love thing, actually, is that I remember her telling me, so I must have been like a teenager, because I think I had that sort of like moody kind of sort of teenager attitude to um, the story that she was about to tell me, which was she, she'd heard the story on the radio of a woman who was saying that before school, before her children leave the house, they have to stand by the door um, and they have to proclaim loudly and proudly I am brilliant, I'm great, and I am enough. Or something, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. And I remember my mum sort of with that sort of cheek, she loved all that sort of like self-affirmation stuff. And I just kind of always thought that was just sort of her vibe. That was sort of the things that she liked. But she, I remember her being sort of finding this so joyful. And she, she sort of said, I just think it's such a great idea. And I could just sort of see her beaming about this idea. Aww. And, and uh, she uh, sort of said, well, I mean, what if we do something like that, you know? Because I think, you know, she would have seen me as this sort of awkward teenager probably and kind of thought, you know, maybe that could be something helpful. I just remember at the time being like, ugh, ridiculous. (laughs) Not only probably because I was sort of battling my own sort of self-esteem issues, but Mm -hmm. also just the idea of proclaiming that self-love so so sort of overtly or so sort of explicitly Mm. sounded ridiculous. And I have a very different attitude to that now. But I think in a lot of ways, when I look back, I realise my mum and I were incredibly similar people in our mm-hmm. journeys with ourselves and our journeys with our art and how, um, yeah, how we express ourselves through our creativity. And, um, and I think that she was definitely, she was someone who I saw as being incredibly patient and loving. And I think uh, it took me a while to realise that that wasn't necessarily her natural state she didn't necessarily grow up just like that or just happen to be like that she put the work in to be loving and patient and not just with me but just with people in our lives and sort of who crossed our paths but but yeah but she, she she was absolutely somebody who never made me feel like I couldn't do something absolutely like was always there to be like of course you can do that yeah brilliant and she was always very proud proud of me and uh, yeah I think one of the happiest one of the really good highlights I think of my career was her being able to see um, a production that I worked on with the National Youth Theatre that got put on uh, at the Ambassador's Theatre in the West End I mean, obviously, it's not like I actually have had a West End credit, but in in, in terms of geography and tech, you know, if we're talking technically, yeah. I've got a West End credit. <laughs> but so that was a really big moment. And that was actually, that was the summer of her diagnosis. So, wow. Um, and she saw a few other things before she passed. But, uh, but I think that felt like a big sort of, so I think that would have been nice uh, for her. And I'm very glad for that. But she... I mean, the other thing is, is like, I remember she'd come to all of my gigs when I was a teenager, when I was a a, a wee lad. And it wasn't always very cool, you know, to have <laughs> your mum there. And you sort of, you, you, you strop a little bit and you sort of scoff. And, but yeah, I just think I was very lucky to have someone that supportive and that proud as well, who was just sort of unconditionally proud of what I did. And who sort of as time went on, like we just realised we had so much in common in terms of our vocation and our Mm. day to day and in terms of what we were struggling with. We were completely sort of essentially self-made people trying to feel legitimate in a world of 
you know, fast art and fast creation. Um, and so she was a very big inspiration and she always made sure to make me feel like it was possible. That's incredible. And that's so nice to have that closeness as well of, yeah, you're so similar and you've gone on such similar journeys, mm. um, which, yeah, bonds you in an extra way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there are, you know, a lot of regrets in terms of things I wish I had done. And those regrets, I guess, will always be there. And you'll always sort of, but you were, yeah, I guess the process is just learning to forgive. Yes. And say it's all right, you know. Yeah, again, being a bit kinder on yourself and that forgiveness yeah. aspect, yeah. definitely. Yeah. If you had any advice for your younger self, given what you know now mm. about about the industry, about life in general, what do you think that piece of advice would be? I would say stand, before you leave the house, stand by the door and proclaim loudly and proudly that you are brilliant and you are enough. Yeah. I'm going to steal that mantra, definitely. Oh, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much for your bravery, your openness, mm. your honesty. No, but, but likewise. And uh, the next time you see Dave, you tell him a message from me. I don't know what that <laughs> message is, but I'll, I'll, yeah, it's probably not fit for, for a podcast. But yeah. Yeah, write it down and I'll, I'll post it to yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Same yeah. for your evil, evil twin. My evil twin, yeah. Nido. <laughs> Odin, thank you so, so much. Thanks so much much for having me. Oh, thank you so much again, Odin. That was such a heartwarming conversation and I absolutely loved it. So thank you. I'd also like to say thank you as always to Stephen Sobel and Amy Sayers, All In Actors, for all of your continued support. Thank you once again to Odin for the beautiful music for this podcast. And thank you to all of you for listening. Have an amazing week. And if your negative inner voice pipes up too much, don't let them win.